In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, after the marvelous solemnity of St. Joseph, where all we could do was talk about how great St. Joseph was and his role in the church, it was a beautiful oasis that we want to kind of continue now in our Lenten pathway. And uh, starting this evening, and in particular Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday of Lent, the Church has the tradition of covering crosses and statues in churches with a violet cloth. Why do we do that? Why do we cover crosses? I mean, crosses are crosses. They're supposed to be looked at. Why do we cover beautiful statues? And among them, probably, St. Joseph. Well, Easter is coming. Of course, the Passion is coming. And the Church has had this tradition for ages as a way to help us interiorize the reality that we are about to face. It may seem counterintuitive to veil statues. Statues are, help, are meant to help us pray, to help us, to help us uh, focus on the, the realities in front of us. But it is a tradition, and it'll be, it, it's something that has lived from the fifth Sunday of Lent all the way to Good Friday until the beginning of the Easter Vigil. But families can do that also in their homes. They can veil uh, you know, images uh, or their own crucifixes. It's as though, you know, when you think it, we go through a lot of trouble to decorate our homes, especially at Easter, we put flowers up, there's beautiful flowers in chapels and in our own homes. Well, that feast, which is the Feast of Easter, can also be prepared by veiling things, kind of keeping us a little bit more focused. It reminds us when the, the Lord is veiled like that uh, in the crucifix and in the statues that he's been taken away. He's, and that, that this is not just some other feast. It alerts us to something, well, something very special is happening here when you see everything veiled like that. Something is different. And the veils on the crucifix in particular and the other statues, some, some places they cover the entire paintings, they help us to focus our attention more on the words of the Mass, the words of the Mass. And when we, in particular, listen to the Passion narratives, our, our senses are allowed to, to focus at the very striking words of the Gospel, lest we be in any way distracted, and thereby truly enter into the scene. They produce a kind of a heightened sense of anticipation for Easter Sunday. Naturally, 
those statues and those crucifixes are only veiled for a limited time. This is not something that, that lasts for a long time. It's just a short time to kind of put us, so to speak, on edge. Because after all, we live here in this world in what we call a, a veiled world. We don't see God. We are exiled from our true home. Right here in this world in which we are, however young you may be, however comfortable you may feel in this world, we're not really home. This is not our true homeland. Our true homeland is to be with heaven, with, with God in heaven. That's our true home. And it's only through death that that veil is finally lifted. Some people think that when you die, you go from kind of like a real world to nothing, just nothing, just blackness. Of course, I don't know how they know that because, I mean, as far as I know, they haven't died. So they just, oh, no, no, it's just black. They, they, yeah, but they don't know that. They don't know that. They, they affirm it because they have an, a kind of an ideological pretension that assumes that only what they can see is what is real. Right? But they don't really know that. We know it because it's been revealed to us and because Jesus has risen from the dead. He has actually risen from the dead and he has told us about it. Right? And so it is only through death that this veil is lifted and we will really be able to see the beauty of everything in our lives. The connection between this life and the next and of course, we live in a, in a veiled time through this COVID period. We can see, you know, we can't really see properly. We can't touch or hug or, or even breathe properly during COVID. And how much we will appreciate it when there'll be no more restrictions, when we can just go and give somebody a hug and we can tear our mask off and no problem. You know, we'll just take it and fling it across the room, right? And uh, probably then people will come to the meditations and will not look at their screens and their phones anymore. Right? Now, that's all we can do. You're looking at your screen there. I'm looking at you. I just see your name, so I don't see you, but still. But this veiling is part of our Lenten pathway. And the church is very, very conscious of this Lenten pathway. We are on a Lenten journey. Remember what our Lord said, those powerful words, those like dramatic words in St. Matthew. If anyone, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him, let her deny herself, take up her cross, and follow me. Take up your cross and follow. Like the, the very word follow is already uh, a journey. It's, it's a pathway. It's, it, it, is, it means we are following him in some way. Or his, uh, to his apostles, uh, one of his apostles, St. Peter said, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we may follow in his footsteps. See again this idea of following, of walking, uh, 
it's not just being, it's like actually progressing. Follow in his footsteps, do what he did, carry his cross. And that's why the church in this time of Lent wants us to do that and calls us to a renewed and very urgent call to conversion. Convinced, really, of this truth that we will not resurrect with Christ, as he did, if we don't die with him. It's a very simple principle. We cannot resurrect with Christ. We cannot go to our true homeland if we don't somehow die to ourselves. How do we do that? We die through mortification, through penance. We die, not just physically, but we die to our sins. Our Lord said, unless you repent, unless you repent, you will perish all in the same manner. These are strong words that are an invitation for us to convert during this Lenten time to follow our Lord. Because Lent is that. It is a time of conversion, of penance, so that we really do come to care about about what you want from us, Lord. Not the praise of others. It's not about a form of self-affirmation. And it's really, Lent is really the best preparation for the most important feast of the year, which is Easter, the resurrection. It's an urgent call. And, um, and we have to guard against the deceits of the evil one, the deceits of the devil. He, he wants to deceive us. He wants us to just to get through Lent and you know, not, not let it really leave a mark on us. So we have to, how do we ensure that it does leave a mark of conversion, of improving ourselves, of giving ourselves more to the others, of giving ourselves more to God? Well, through penance, prayer and penance in particular. Because, as St. Rosemary used to say, the devil does not take vacations. He does not, he's on vacation. You know. <laughs> oh good, I can go and do what I want. No, no, he's not, he doesn't take vacations. And uh, Blessed Alvaro said, he never lets up in his determination to distant, distance souls from God. The devil exists and he never lets up in his determination to distance souls from God. He said, and you can readily see how abundant his harvest has been. Millions of people pray to an insatiable hunger to go astray, who forget their eternal destiny. And indeed, more and more people, the, the people that kind of, about their faith, about life after, life after death, about the meaning of life, they don't care. They don't, they don't care. It's not that they're atheists and reject maybe your argument. They don't care. They just don't care. Just, uh, look, I, I'm more interested in, I don't know, race car driving. I don't care about this. And they have a kind of a, a kind of lukewarmness about transcendental truths. They just, they'll say, well, you believe that, that's good, but I don't care about that. Hmm? That person, in some ways, the, the, the devil has him in his hands. 
and um, and uh, you know some are satiated with life. They binge watch movies and shows. Uh, you know, like if you binge watch for a long time, I would imagine that after a while you just have no desire to watch anything. And one can, if one uh, gives in to all one's desires, one one's own moral fiber can be weakened sub substantially. That's why we have uh, this fasting or just the experience uh, that ten of temptation that the Lord taught us with. And, um, yeah, so that we don't arrive there at Easter kind of unprepared, without a deeper sense of sin, right? And um, so how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Well, um, one thing that Lent can do when we talk about conversion is to increase our desire for God, increase our desire for the truth, increase our desire for purification, for real repentance. This idea of increasing our desires. It's the opposite of the person who doesn't care, the opposite of the person who's kind of indifferent, we talk about that, or, or the, the, the Old Testament talks about that in one of the prophets, the prophet Daniel, who lived during the exile in Babylon. He said, he talked about this, uh, this angel speaking to him, he says, he said to me, Daniel, thou man of desires, understand the words that I speak to thee. Stand upright, for I am now, I am sent now to thee. And when he had said this, this word to me, I stood trembling. He said to me, Daniel, thou art a man of desires. Vir desiderium, that's the Latin phrase, vir desiderium, a man of desires. What does that mean to be a man of desires? Well, it, it really means, uh, this really desire he had to be a good father, to be a good son, to be a good brother, to be a good friend, to be a good colleague, and to be the best version of himself, to have that desire. And so um, we can ask ourselves that, what do I really desire? What, what is deep within my heart? And uh, what are my deepest desires? What are my deepest longings? Where do those impulses come from? And that's why, in, in some sense, that's why we have these uh, Lenten practices like fasting, fasting and mortification. Right? Because um, when you are fasting, let's say you, you decide to forego YouTube, or you just forego dessert, or even fast from a meal, like, okay, I'm not going to have lunch today. I'm not going to have lunch. You organize it, you don't have lunch. Well, of course... If you're used to having lunch every day, no, I suppose not everybody is used to that. Some countries, they only have one meal a day, I suppose. But, but if you break with what you're used to, you suddenly realize you have a desire to eat food. 
It happens to people who are used to drinking alcohol all the time. They suddenly want a drink. They, they start to crave for it. Right? And uh, if we never ache for anything, if we, if we never feel hungry ever, ever at all, we never experience that, right? It, it's kind of hard to say that we really men and women of desire, right? But when we fast, like specifically fasting from food, we do get a kind of, a, how to describe it, it's a kind of a cavity in the stomach, a kind of aching. We say, I wish I could have that, I wish I could have that, uh, uh, that steak, you know? And you know, like uh, in the cartoons, you see uh, the coyote and Bugs Bunny, and the coyote looks at, uh, what is it, the roadrunner, that's right. He looks at the roadrunner and he sees him and then he pictures him there as a, as a kind of <laughs> roast uh, chicken, you know. And uh, he's, uh, he's always trying to go after the roadrunner and then he pictures him there. You know, there's like a, a bubble, kind of like a bubble in what he's thinking of and he's thinking of the roadrunner as a kind of a roast chicken. And it's nice and, you know, looks really good. He's craving to eat that because he's hungry. And uh, in fact, when we do ache for food, right, there's a hormone that is released called ghrelin. That's what they call it, the, the hormone, the hunger horm hormone. It's a, it's, it's a hormone that is released, you're hungry, and suddenly you're, you're, you're like a squirrel. You know, you're, you're suddenly look, on the lookout for anything that could satiate that hunger. Right? That's why when you see a squirrel moving around super nervously, it's that they're hungry. <laughs> and uh, they, they know how to search for food and they know how to hide it and all, all that. It's as though we want our fill. And so that desire, that feeling, is in some way a, that, a, a desire for God, some way. Because... Ultimately, even though we do eat our roast chicken after, okay, then we're satiated. But only God can really satisfy us. Only God. And that's why when we go to the gospel, we can learn just by reading it. To learn to savor the words and the deeds of the Lord. Which show us his infinite love. That's what we can do when we read the, the Passion. We savor the different uh, passages. Right? And, uh, yeah, and um, maybe, maybe you've gotten used to reading the Gospel. Uh, and uh, one thing we can try to live during this time of Lent is the whole area of uh, interior mortification, or what we call the mortification of the imagination. All the fantasies that we may have, maybe vain memories. We remember what we did and what somebody said to us and uh, how we were, maybe we did something pretty good and, and we were praised for it. And, and we bring that thought back often. Or the very disorder in our own affections or attachments or sometimes our curiosity. You know, when you think if we could, if we could mortify our curiosity, accept the fact that there's some things we can, 
We need not know everything about everybody, or what they're doing or what they're not doing. Even the way we surf the internet is, is sometimes motivated a lot by curiosity. And, uh, and th that curiosity, if it, all we do is always just, uh, you know, what does that say there? Click with, click that. What does that YouTube thing? Click, 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 click. We were, we're just curious. But it hasn't really enriched us as such. It's only uh, nourished our, uh, in some ways, a deeper curiosity. So we have to protect our heart, our heart, which can become weak and become attached. St. Josemia used to say that the heart is like a traitor. We have to keep it locked up in seven bolts. And uh, in some ways, he said, everything that doesn't really lead you to God, or is, yeah, if it doesn't lead you to God, it, it's an obstacle. We don't want that. You have to tear it out, cast it far away. This is not going to lead me to God. So, interior mortification, curiosity with regards to news, internet, you know, all those links we see, all those, I don't know what they call those, but those, you know, we see these things, they, they want, you know, they put a title there that, that is intriguing about this man who did this, and, you know, it's always an intriguing title, and they want us to click. And, you know, we can look at it and say, you know what, I'm not going to click you. I am not going to click you. I'm going to put it down. And before you know it, that thing's gone, and it's even probably gone out of our head. Mm -hmm. Another good mortification is to really make life pleasant for others. By our tone, just, I mean, starting with your siblings, right? How you listen to them. You know, like, like avoid bad conduct or, or just moodiness. Sometimes... We're in a bad mood. It's okay. You can be in a bad mood. It happens. You know, we have a headache or we're tired. It happens. But if we can avoid letting that kind of uh, be like affect the others, or when we don't pay attention to the others, we don't really listen to them, or when we maybe tease them and they don't like to be teased, or just biting negative criticism or complaints. Sometimes we. We could find ourselves complaining about a lot of things. Complaining about the weather, complaining about this or that politician, complaining about uh, COVID, complaining about uh, so many things mm, that we're surrounded by. Uh, or even just lacks of unity with uh, our parents, you know, criticizing th things like that. Or just in general, complaints. If we see that coming, See, you know what? I'm not going to make. I'm not going to contribute to the to the negative tone in the house. I want to contribute a good tone, right? It's kind of like if you put wallpaper up. If imagine you put wallpaper up that was this silver gold with black lines and splotches of abstract color, garish pinks and uh, fluorescent greens. Okay, well, that would send a certain tone to the house, right? Uh, but if you put nice, delicate, neutral flowers with a texture to it, well, that would, you know, like here, this is kind of neutral, it's, it's nice, right? And maybe that way we could be a little bit in the background and let others shine. Let's see how we can live 
this Lenten path, which the Lord calls us to, so that we can be well prepared for the passion of our Lord and subsequently his resurrection. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.